We've always been here Every single year From ancient gaze right up to today See, history is queer Some think it's a new way But we've got something to say History is very, 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 very gay Hello, lovely listeners! We're bringing you a fun Valentine's Day treat today, featuring Aphrodite herself in the form of our conversation last month with actress, playwright, and queer history nerd Alexandra Tidings on Sappho, gay yearning, and other shenanigans. We had such a fun and expansive chat that we just couldn't fit it into the main episode, so please enjoy this bonus uh, while we are off at TGI Femslash. We got to talking so quickly and into some great stuff right away, so we're just going to drop you right on into the conversation, and we hope you enjoy it and check out more of Alex's work, and we will see you for our next episode soon. Enjoy. Now we just we just have a lovely conversation okay. between all. That's yes. good. About the OG. Yeah, the OG lesbian. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I well, still that's... I just I still find it really hilarious that we're three years into this podcast and we're and just still, now doing yeah. Sappho. <laughs> well, yeah. because I mean she's because she's the OG lesbian, right? But right. then she's also I mean, I would say she probably almost entirely only exists in our imagination. Mm. Right? Because yeah. we only have like these little fragments and one poem. And at some point, somebody suggested she was a man. Yes. Right? At, at some point, somebody yeah. suggested these were really like odes about men. What? And I loved your interpretation <laughs> of the chariot falling into the water, which makes perfect sense to me oh with the thank the you yeah d- devotee to aphrodite well then hey let's let's just hop in now okay. yeah. we're getting into some good stuff okay. um uh, so yeah so um, oh wait i have one more question we can record yes. my question if you want no, to that's fine um which is when was she and what was happening politically like what was the life of a woman like what was her life like? What was the life of women like? I know like the women in Sparta had a really different life than the women in Greece, but I also know that Greek history spans hundreds of years. So right. I mean, women today have a very different life than women 50 years ago. Right. So yeah. um, I'm curious about that. Um, so the period of Sappho's life is what's called the archaic Greek period. Mm-hmm. So it's what we tend to think of as um, classic Greek, like with the Parthenon and democracy and all of that, that is the classical period. Okay. Um, and so she comes before that. So okay. um, Sappho is around, they think she was born around 620, 620 630 BCE. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the archaic period goes from 750 to 500. Okay. Um, so this is where like ancient Greek culture starts to develop and solidify and pottery and sculpture are becoming big. Mm-hmm. Democracy is sort of like growing and, and, and becoming a thing. But most of like what we, what we learn about Sappho later comes from the classical period and the Hellenistic right. period, which are a little bit more the, um, you know, when we have the classic picture of greece right that's what we're thinking of um and even then like democracy i want to put in big giant quotes because it's only 20 percent of the population right right Mm -hmm. right 
most people were like slaves or housebound or kind yeah. of living under Sharia law, right? If they were female, they were, yeah, they would have had a very um, culturally isolated existence from men. There was seems to be a pretty strong gender bifurcation in mm-hmm. terms of the circles in yeah. society, at least for the. And this is always again kind of like democracy in quotes. This is most of what we know is from the aristocratic levels. So right. like so even yeah yeah it's even more limited. Um, like chances are good that the reason that Sappho was able, if she did live the kind of life that, you know, we can conjecture that she lived from what we know, it was probably because she was from an affluent family and talented. Yeah. So like that was her way of, you know, she never married so far, or we don't think she married her husband, Dick Johnson from Man Island. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, the fact that she was able to not marry and kind of have a position of authority over other women likely comes from the fact that she's affluent and talented. Right. Mm -hmm. Which no, when you say she had positions of authority over other women, is this because people think that she was a schoolmistress or do you have another reason? Yeah. Potentially that, or even just, it seems like she had devotees to her art Mm -hmm. in this way that was alive. Yeah. While she was alive. Yeah. Like so much, so much of the text around Sappho talks about her being like the most prominent female poet of her time, which probably meant like the only one that got any sort of recognition. (laughs) I mean, that's my Uh, first thought. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, she's the only female poet in the in the canon of nine lyric poets in the Library of Alexandria. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which yeah. moment for the Library of Alexandria again. Ugh, always. Um, <laughs> makes me so sad. We, we take a moment of silence for the Library of Alexandria because it's Aww. it's just so depressing. Yeah. Um, we lost so much. Lose, lose yeah. all of that. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. So, yeah, other than that, the lives of most women, I think, were fairly limited. Yeah. Um, they would so be why did she wanting. get to be different, do you think? Because she's aristocratic. That helps a lot. Yeah. And because she's smart, that helps a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aristocratic, smart. I mean, she, yeah, she she was able to leave a, a legend. I mean, she invented a whole bunch of different musical inventions as well. I know. Isn't that so, what? Like the pick, basically. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's so interesting. Yeah, if you play guitar and you use a pick, you can thank Sappho, pretty much. <laughs> Playing guitar is gay now, guys. <laughs> I mean... If you use a pick, you're doing it the gay way. You're we're, a lesbian. We're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're reclaiming it from the douchey guy who plays Dave Matthews on his oh my acoustic God, guitar yes, in the quad at college. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so good. Oh. See, now I wish I'd known that in college and then I kind of got up to that guy and be like, well, you know who invented that pick? It was Sappho. Yeah, oh, my God. Then, you're going to yes. get the douchey guy like, well, then I'm a lesbian in a man's body. Oh, oh God. Oh, it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> just just retching sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Uh. No. No, there's some rich material in there, though. I'm pretty sure there's a lot. A comedian could do a lot with that, I think, oh, yeah. with, like, fingers mm-hmm. and picks and Ooh. playing an instrument. And <laughs> I think there's some there's some stuff you could develop there. It takes a lesbian to. to invent a new way to, to finger a, a musical instrument. I mean. Oh, dear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 14 minutes in and we're, <laughs> we're doing oh, we, well. We're already there, yeah. <laughs> we're already there. Um, I guess this is a good time to uh, introduce you. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> um, so hello, lovely listeners. Um, we have a wonderful and and hilarious guest with us today. Uh, her name is Alexandra Tidings. If you are a uh, Xena fan, you may be familiar with that name. But uh, Alex is here to talk with us about Sappho and queer lady loving yearning in kind of just wanted to like go into the, the L word theme. Like, what is it like loving, laughing, fighting, fucking something <laughs> <Nice>. like that. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, to talk with us about Sappho here and hang out and have a little little poetry salon with us, because who better to talk about the wonderfully gay poetry of Sappho than the the person who played the goddess she was devoted to, Aphrodite? Ah, hello! What a lovely introduction. Thank you. That's very nice. Yeah, and you're not just here because you know Aphrodite. It's you're you're here because we we actually started talking about Anne Lister on Facebook together, <gasps> and I found out that you're a giant queer history nerd just like us. Yes. So yes. <laughs> um, yes. You want to talk to us a little bit about how you got into into queer history? We could start off with with a little bit of that. Yeah. Um. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm a queer person. <gasps> um. <gasps> Hello. 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 I'm stepping out of the closet for the 75th time. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, this time, my first time out of the closet on a podcast. How about oh. that? Ooh. Yes. We're um, the first. Yes. I think. Oh, no, I lied. I No, that's not true. But this is my first time coming out on a podcast about queer stuff. There we specifically. go. There we go. Yay. How about that? Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so... And I'm just fascinated by, I'm fascinated by history in general. I think it's really, really, really interesting. And um, as as you just pointed out a couple of minutes ago, you know, history is written by the the victors, um, mm-hmm. which in Western culture is, is mainly men and often straight and certainly rarely from the point of view of women. So I think it's fascinating to go back in time and find the little fissures where, you know, some other kind of experience can bubble through. And mm. um, I remember in college learning um, something that you reference in these notes that, you know, that even the category homosexual didn't exist until a few hundred years ago. Mm. And I just think that's so interesting because it was such a such a majorly important category when I was growing up. Like, are you mm-hmm. homosexual or are you heterosexual? Like, those are your choices, you mm-hmm. know, not not the idea that that's a, a language that just got invented recently and that mm-hmm. that wasn't a way of people thinking of themselves or other people even just a few hundred years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. that just, you know, just kind of changes everything. Um, so I love those moments and, and um, I'm also a writer and... Um, so I, I like to write about these things. I like to go back. I'm fascinated by language and how language changes. And I wrote mm. a play a few years ago that basically just kind of was inspired by the word hysteria. Ooh. And the huh. fact that it was the root word means womb mm-hmm. from the Greeks. And they had this idea that it, that women's wombs could get too hot and start wandering. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. The lovely, like... Like, ah, let's put some nice, sweet-smelling things down near the vulva to entice <laughs> the womb back. Yes! <laughs> yes, yeah. and, and if, the wa- if the womb started wandering, then um, that would induce hysterical behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and the remedy for that was warm, wet stuff, which is quite convenient for men mm-hmm. to imagine that that's yeah. what the woman needed. And then, you know, and that that traces all the way through to 
you know, Victorian ideas of hysteria, you know, which can include anxiety and depression and sexual desire and no sexual desire. And, and then even more delicious, the fact that the vibrator was invented to cure female hysteria, which I just think is so wonderful. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And then, you know, and, and continuing with the etymology of hysteria, all the way up to hysterectomies being, you know, a possible remedy for it's just wild. It's wild. So um, I love tracing these things around and queer history is especially delicious because you know it's so kind of it's so we've been so erased for so long Mm -hmm. especially 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 women i mean (laughs) that somebody could say that Safa was a man is just wild right yeah that's that's one one theory that just boils my blood yeah or or the idea that like if if she was a woman she must have been talking from a male perspective because x y and z yeah it's like no can you just well, clearly only men can ever be attracted to women. So if you have a woman who's like talking about like yearning for women, then like she must be pretending to be a man because women don't like women, right? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So interesting. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, What was your experience with Sappho before we started talking? Had you read any Sappho beforehand? I know that we had talked a little bit about um, something you had read by... um, Yes. Yeah, uh, what is it? Clarissa Clarissa Pinkola-Estes, and I I hope I didn't mangle her name too much, but who's one of my favorite writers, who's just wonderful, wonderful, big giant plug for all of her work in general. And she has an audio book called How to Love a Woman, hmm. which is just gorgeous. And I've been trying to find, <laughs> I've been trying to find a hard copy version, which I think doesn't exist, um, because I wanted to read you guys some of it because it's just beautiful. And anyone who hasn't re- listened to it, go get it and listen to it because she's hmm. so wonderful. But I did find some stuff. I found a blog post that somebody else made where they um, quoted some stuff that she had written on her Facebook page. And that made me go back to her Facebook page. And I found I couldn't find that, but I found some other stuff. Anyway, long story short, she, she said, I'm quoting her, she said, I went slightly mad one day and without any sanction, reconstructed 20 of Sappho's fragmentary poems, of which only a word or or phrase still existed here and there, the rest unpreserved, repressed, or destroyed. Mm. And she talks about how, okay, here's a little more from her. A feeling came over me as a poet who knows a good deal about shape and form, like a reconstructor of skulls at a museum, who Mm. can see the arcs and curves that the fragments suggest, and so reconstruct what that ancient person may have looked like to a large degree. Uh, Wow. Um, So this gorgeous, lovely imagery. Yeah. Um, Mm. But also, I love the kind of... um, the respect with which she's coming to Sappho's work at the same time as acknowledging that, like, we really just don't know. I mean, we really, it, it's kind of all what, what we're imagining. She's kind of imagining what, what it would be look like if I see a, sh- a shard of a skull and then I try to reconstruct what the skull looks like, which is what we do all the time. But um, it's still our imagination. Right. And so she did this. She went back, Dr. Estes, and she kind of reconstructed a whole bunch of her poems. They're not really Sappho's poems anymore. They're kind of more Dr. Estes' poems. And they're so beautiful. And they're so rich and raunchy and fabulous. And I wish I had them so I can read them to you because they're really <laughs> delicious. 
But um, short of that, y'all go go download that thing and read it because I listen to it because it's so good. Yeah, I know. I was trying to find it. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to put a link for that in our show notes so that people can can access it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And before that, I wasn't, you know, like any queer girl, like in college, I was kind of like, yeah, Sappho, it's kind of, I don't know, sure, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know anything about her. And I see like three lines and it looks kind of dry. I'm not that interested. I just wasn't. And then I heard Dr. Assess kind of reconstructing it. And I was like, oh, wow, this stuff is amazing. Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. Well, and one one thing that Gretchen and I had talked about is that the process of pouring over very broken fragments Mm. and wanting to know what is there that is missing is in itself like a queer feeling Uh, Mm. it's like the the very feeling of yearning that Sappho elucidates in her poetry has extended to like the the actual physical process of reading sapphic poetry right yeah beautiful right yearning for the for the words while you're reading about while you're reading poetry about yearning. Mm-hmm. Well, and it is very, it is very much also like the experience of being a someone who wants to read and understand queer history. All we have are these tiny little fragments of our history, especially as queer women, because so much of history being written by men means that if queer experience is touched on, it's primarily the queer experience of men, not the queer right. experience of women. Right. So, like, there are just so many layers in which Sappho represents like our experience of yearning after a particular woman um, of like that desire and our experience being like a queer woman in history, like only knowing bits and pieces and trying to like trace the shape of what our historical experience has been either like an individual woman, like Sappho, like trying to figure out Sappho's life. Again, we only have bits and pieces and we're trying to like trace the shape of her life or within a culture, like, Sappho just feels so very emblematic of like queer female experience on so many mm-hmm. levels. Mm-hmm. Like that's what draws me to her. Like the yeah. more I read about Sappho, the more I want to like, the more she just like feels like the perfect character to be like the OG lesbian because like <laughs> yes. it reflects so much of our experiences, queer women in history. Like the frustration embedded in it also, yes. right? Because we don't know. There's so much we don't know. Mm-hmm. I, well, and it really speaks to, like, a modern queer experience, too, because so much of, exi- like, so much of yearning after someone that you are interested in as a queer person is looking for the things in between the lines. Mm-hmm. You know, is this person right. queer? Right. Like, all the different things that you have to navigate Yes, that people who have a more heterosexual experience don't necessarily understand right. or yes. ever have to deal with. And yeah. it's 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 so beautifully meta. There's so many different layers to it's it. True. Right. It's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, she traveled with her companion. Mm. Really? Was it who was her companion? She lived with her <laughs> companion? Really? Who was that? You know? Right. It wasn't it wasn't a relative, but it was her companion, but they were together for 40 years. Really? Mm. Is there some, something else to that story that we might, you know, infer from that? But oh, we can't. Yes, I mean, we don't, you know, like yeah. we can't ever really know. But Right. Oh, they shared yes. a bedroom? They were very good friends? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> they were very close. Yeah. Oh, they wanted all of their belongings to go to that person when they died? What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. sitting here thinking yeah. about Emily Dickinson. Oh, Emily Dickinson. Right. Yeah. <sighs> oh, Owie. Yeah. 
Have you guys have you guys talked about no, it yet? We haven't done an episode yet. No. <gasps> so many so many possibilities. Our our list is enormous, Alex. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's always like, oh god, we haven't talked about this person yet or this or this or this. It's so yeah. it's so overwhelming. One of the best moments of my adult queer life, because I, I only came to understand myself as queer fairly recently, was realizing that pretty much all of my favorite female authors when I was young were mm-hmm. queer. I was like, mm-hmm. Emily Dickinson, Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, uh, Mary Shelley, like... Virginia Woolf. Wow. Yeah. All of these, wow. like... Yeah. I loved their books. Isn't that huh, interesting? Isn't it yeah. interesting that all of my favorites... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> turned out to be queer women. Yeah. Huh. Who would have thought... Also, maybe it sounds like almost all the writers. Yeah, I yeah. mean, <laughs> yeah. Right? All the women who deign to write, maybe. Mm-hmm. Something Kinda, about sorta, bucking most of them. authority and, mm. and expectations of women. Right. Yeah. Daring to do what you want to do, even though you're not really supposed right. to. Yeah. That would not surprise yeah. me. So, uh, so yeah. speaking of writing, <laughs> guess what? Sappho wrote yes. lots of poetry. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> Yeah, like over ten thousand lines, yes. which is amazing. Wow! Y'all wanna yeah. y'all wanna launch into a little um, actual Sappho salon, and we can start start reading some poems. Yeah, sure. yeah, let's cool. do it. Um, I figured we'd start off with um, "Hymn to Aphrodite," which is our only complete poem in the canon. It's you know, usually referred to as like poem or fragment one, which is silly because, uh-huh. you know, it's not actually a fragment, but all of the others are uh-huh. referred to by fragment number XYZ. Yeah. So it's it's hymn or ode to Aphrodite. We found this this one translation. But yeah, would you would you like to read this for us, Alex? I would Yay. love to. Yay. I would be honored. Yes. Okay. Immortal Aphrodite on your intricately brocaded throne, child of Zeus, weaver of wiles, this I pray. Dear lady, don't crush my heart with pains and sorrows, but come here. If ever before, when you heard my far-off cry, you listened, and you came, leaving your father's house, yoking your chariot of gold. Then beautiful swift sparrows led you over the black earth from the sky through the middle air, whirling their wings into a blur. Rapidly they came, and you, O blessed goddess, a smile on your immortal face, asked, what had happened this time? Why did I call again? And what did I especially desire for myself in my frenzied heart? Who this time am I to persuade to your love? Sappho, who is doing you wrong? For even if she flees, soon she shall pursue. And if she refuses gifts, soon she shall give them. If she doesn't love you, soon she shall love, even if she's unwilling. Come to me now once again and release me from grueling anxiety, all that my heart longs for, fulfill, and be yourself my ally in love's battle. Mm. That was lovely. Very lovely. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so it's juicy. It's so good. It's so interesting. The love's battle thing. Mm-hmm. So first of all, like, let's just acknowledge that Aphrodite's not a person. 
right? She's not even like as a goddess, she's not even a person. She's a personification of a thing, yes. which is love in all of its glorious complications. Mm-hmm. And all of its all of its emotions um, and everything yeah. that Sappho is bringing as like a physical manifestation. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I love this idea of Sappho sort of talking to love, mm-hmm. you know, talking to like imagining love being on her side and love being an ally in love's battle, which invokes Aries, which is a whole other set of questions. And, you know, again, Aries was not a person, right. was not a god, like, but is an idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, of course, all this stuff about if she's fleeing, soon she's going to pursue. And if she's refusing gifts, soon she's going to give them. And if she doesn't love you, it's going to turn around. And um, did you guys write this? Did I stumble on it somewhere? This idea of, especially at this time, where what we think of as gay love wasn't really sort of shocking, although I don't know how they felt about women. They probably didn't um, think about it much if they thought about it at all. I will yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Go ahead and say that's didn't probably really, what didn't it was. really think about women. Like, full yeah, stop. right. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, didn't really think about women. Um, but in terms of what we think of as gay love or queer love, not a problem then, right? Like men loving men was not mm-hmm. an issue for these Greeks at this right. point. Right. And in fact, it was kind of idealized, mm-hmm. right? Because men were wonderful and women were not. Right. So- There's something like deeper, like some spiritual peak of like there was something yeah. more spiritual about a man loving a man than there was about a man loving yes. a woman. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like a kind of idealized yep. love. But even so, there was a power thing at play, mm-hmm. right? Like you always had someone who was, I imagine, you know, kind of a philosopher and his student. So there's right. a power dynamic there or some kind of power imbalance mm-hmm. between any kind of experience of love for those right. guys. So for Sappho to be writing about this kind of maybe equality of who is pursuing and who is pursued being in flux and being able to change, mm-hmm. even like right there, she's, she's pointing to something that hadn't been written before or hadn't been, wasn't part of that culture. Mm, exactly. Right? Yeah. The, the, this new kind of egalitarian way of loving that anybody could yeah. you know be the pursuer or the pursued at any moment right 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 well and it's interesting to even think of i um as i'm thinking now about the other greek myths especially the idea of like that first line even if she flees soon she shall pursue like the the myth of apollo and daphne popped into my head where it's apollo chasing mm-hmm. down daphne and she transforms mm-hmm. into a tree but you have all of mm-hmm. these stories in greek mythology of like even male love towards women was was perceived of as being aggressive of like there is an aggressor and there is someone who is like pursued like you have the pursuer and the pursued and it is always the man pursuing the woman so even not even just within like queer experience but just as a society as a whole like their concept of love seems to be one where like men pursue an object and that object can be a woman it can be a younger man it can be right a boy boy. a slave but like men pursue things and here you have a much more, yeah, egalitarian view of love where, like, not only is Sappho the one who's potentially pursuing and frustrated by, you know, the person that she loves not returning her affection, but Aphrodite's like, look, like, 
she will do the same back to you. Like, right. it's a much more yeah. mutual experience. Exactly. Give it a minute. <laughs> She'll turn around. I also... Which is interesting. Sorry, saying, I also love that it's very clear that this is not the first time that Sappho has been like, oh my God. <laughs> right. Please. Who is it right. now? Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's like, all right. Who, who this time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You again. You're calling me again. Who is Sappho who is doing you wrong? It's such a great line. It's, clearly, it's, so it's, it's like Aphrodite just being like, look, Sappho, you have got to stop lusting after straight girls. <laughs> right, totally, totally, totally. Or is that what she's saying? Or is she saying she's not really straight? Like she might be running away from you now, but Maybe, soon, yeah, <laughs> she's gonna turn around. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I did get to the at the end of that stanza where she, if she doesn't love you, soon she shall love, even if she's unwilling. Oof, unwilling is a tough. That's yeah. a tough, tough word. translation. Like, yeah, uh-huh. I'm not into that word. You know, yeah, like. Right. Yeah, it's it's hard to find a translation that doesn't use like that specific word. And it's interesting to look mm. at that as in a modern context because that brings up such yucky feelings. Yeah, especially like this yeah. week. Yeah. When Weinstein's trial is starting. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that like the yeah, the context of it it being perhaps a like societal role um mm-hmm. that somebody may not be used to is is, is interesting to to think about. Yeah. And and to imagine that women weren't being weren't valued in the culture, that our voices weren't heard very much, that our perspectives and points of view weren't um valued, then to imagine here she is, you know, not only talking about a perspective through a through a woman's experience, but talking like specifically about this different way of experiencing desire and love where the power dynamic is so different from from what men were how men how male desire was conceived it's kind of interesting and then i think it 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 has threads all the way to today like when i was a teenager <laughs> if somebody said they were like lesbian it would be like well who's the man and who's the Mm, woman mm -hmm. you know like who's the top and who's the bottom like like just you have to so how do you do that like if you're both girls (laughs) like i don't understand like what do you do exactly who's the guy who's Mm -hmm. you know um so even all the way back here she's like no you guys you don't understand the point (laughs) of being gay is that there's there's no man right right (laughs) We're both the woman. That's, that's, that's the point. That's kind of the yes. whole shtick. Oh, that's... Uh, I'm just laughing at the fact that I made a, a shtick joke that we're talking about. That's good. <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to who her husband no, was yet. Yeah. 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 Kirklos of Andros. Of, from, the, from the Isle of Andros. Dick, Dick Johnson from the Isle of Dudes. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I just Athenian love that comedy. people try and take that seriously. Like... Right. Yeah. Oh yes, this was a real person. Sure, sure they were. Right. <laughs> yeah. This uh-huh. is not at all a Staff fake name. Husband. No. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very obviously the most made up name ever. Yeah. To to yeah. um try to rescue Sappho's reputation, or depending on the time period, uh, ruin her reputation. <laughs> it kind of all went all went all right. over the place. That's so interesting too. I mean, the fact that she lived such a very long time ago and. And how she's changed through time, you know, like she was, she loved women, she loved men, she was promiscuous, like so many different versions of trying to 
explain who she was and what she was up to, depending on the time period, which I think really probably says more about the time period than anything we actually know about her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the most fascinating articles that I read was was specifically looking into the entire history of the reputation of Sappho and how it changed with different, like, societal mores, and it was really fascinating to see how it shifted, which is, yeah. like, part of the reason why we wanted to do this episode is, like, all right, you know, we all know Sappho's pretty queer, but, like you're you're hearing all these things like Sappho was a man or Sappho had a husband you know like there are so many people who see that and get so disheartened and we're like no 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 it's okay it's 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 dick joke yeah it's fine right (laughs) (laughs) perfect and then the etymology of the word lesbian Mm. too is so interesting like at one point it meant a blowjob yeah right Mm -hmm. wow how did that happen Interesting. Yeah, that that huh. the that the uh, inhabitants of the Isle of Lesbos were well known for for fellatio. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, uh-huh. the, thanks for switching that around. Okay, Sappho, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not how I'm interpreting her poems, but if you say so, <laughs> just the mental gymnastics people will go to to like not have a woman love a woman. I'm like, I feel like that says more about you than it does about what you're reading. Mm-hmm. If you're trying exactly. that hard to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I wanted to get a little bit into the, the like, shorter fragments of, mm-hmm. okay. uh, of Sappho, like, how some of her fragmentary poems are, like, because they're so broken up, like, they could become, like, yeah. really beautiful or haunting. Yeah. Like the, uh, for when you're gay and tired, you know, I may flee <laughs> girls, youth. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about just like our feelings around some of these as, as kind of this like relatable big mood kind of things as, yeah. as queer women. Yeah. <laughs> um, we read some of these in the, in the episode, but. Okay. Uh, I love that there's one Sappho fragment that is literally just dot, 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 Artemis, dot, dot, dot. It's like, all right, when you're so gay, all you can say is the goddess's name. Completely. Right. And yeah. and Artemis. by the way, Artemis is the goddess for that. No offense to Aphrodite, who's awesome, <laughs> who's super awesome, but Artemis is the bomb. I mean, oh, right. yeah. come on, guys. Yeah, I love fragment 47. The uh, love shook my senses like wind crashing on mountain oaks. Mm. yeah wow yeah she doesn't mince words mm-hmm. you know she's really well there. and this is something we talked about when we recorded the episode but so one of the things that's so interesting about Sappho compared to her male contemporaries is that she's very she's very willing to talk about she talks more about how she feels mm. than she does yeah. about like the beloved as an object She's yeah. more interested in like how loving someone or the experience of love and desire makes her feel mm-hmm. than she is about like describing the person's beauty. Like we don't know anything about most of what these people looks like that she's talking about. Right. Except we know that. How do you say her name? Irana. Irana. Yeah, something like that. Irana. Irana. We know she's irritating. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But there's there's like no physical descriptions of anyone. I know. Wow, that's so interesting. It's it's so great. Yeah, like one of our quotes talking about how Sappho is talking about love and pleasure for their own sake Mm -hmm. and not because of specific qualities that an object of desire has. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which just also goes back to what we were saying earlier about like the difference between what it seems like 
the experience of love was in this society from a male perspective versus a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. by, you know, we were talking about how men pursue an object. And even yeah. in the way, like, these men are writing poetry is writing it that way. Like, they're describing the object. Yeah. What they desire is the object. And you don't get the sense that she's talking about a beloved as if it was an object to be pursued and desired and, like, possessed. Like, yeah. She's talking about her experience of, like, feeling and desire, not, you know, that is a thing, and I want it, and I will have it, and give it to me. It's, this person makes me feel things. I have lots of feels. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. So many feels. Ow. Ow. So, so owie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I mean, that that's, yeah. like, one of my favorite Sappho poems is, again, you know, probably one of her best-known verses, the Fragment 31, which uh-huh. I like to refer to as the Greek predecessor of Jesse's Girl. Because um, <laughs> you read it, and it's, like, Sappho looking on jealously at this this woman that she's interested in and she's talking with this man and she's like oh oh i'm so jealous that he gets to sit next to you and talk to you oh i'm feeling all of these things and i i literally like i was in the car and jesse's girl came on the radio and i'm like oh my god it's sappho oh (laughs) nice nice now i just now i just really want somebody to put fragment 31 to Jesse's girl. Oh. <laughs> oh I don't know wow. if somebody could like make a translation mm. work that it would fit with the song, but that would be really fun. Takes All notes. Right. There's the challenge. Takes notes as possible. I mean Yeah. What? What? No, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not writing this down as a thing that I might do if I'm feeling <laughs> bored in my free time. Yes, please do. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Do we, in case uh, people don't remember it from the episode, do we want to read Fragment 31? We yes, a, please. We have a translation by Anne Carson. If sure. you would like to read it, Alex, because it's your your I'd dulcet tones to. are just lovely. Oh, you're <laughs> sweet. <laughs> All right. Fragment 31. He seems to me equal to the gods, that man, whoever he is opposite you, sit and listens close to your sweet speaking. And lovely laughing, oh, it puts the heart in my chest on wings. For when I look at you, even for a moment, no speaking is left in me. No tongue breaks and thin fire is racing under skin. And in eyes, no sight and drumming fills ears. And cold sweat holds me and shaking grips me all. Greener than grass I am and dead. Or almost, I seem to me. But all is to be dared, because even a person of poverty... And then it cuts off. Uh, What? What? Even a person of poverty? What? What are you going to do? It's... What are you going to do, Sappho? So much. Yeah. It's... uh, it's, Yeah. Yeah, it's literally... It's literally Jesse's girl. Somebody just sitting there going, Oh, I wish that girl was mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He gets to sit next to you and listen Mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. Also, everyone understands the feeling of, like, seeing a pretty girl and, like, literally having nothing to say. (laughs) Being like, ah, Uh, nothing to say. A volcano under your skin. Yes. Drumming (laughs) in your ears. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the first time that we see that kind of physical experience of yearning and love. And Mm -hmm. we just don't see that 
in the way that men were writing at the time. Men weren't writing about women like this, really? Shocking. I'm so surprised. Which is why there's like so much evidence like, oh, well, Sappho must have been a woman. This was so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she must have loved women to write exactly. this way about a woman because I don't think the men were talking like this. Mm-mm. No, no. Not about girls anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Exactly. Um, do you, Alex, do you have a favorite fragment or or poem from Sappho that resonates specifically with you? Yeah, I have a few. Yeah. Mm. Tell us about those. Okay, so one of them's fragment 94, which is like the I think of that as the sexy one. But then there's <laughs> also the short little angry one that I really like a lot too. Let's do the angry one first so we can leave on leave on a nicer note. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wait, where's the angry one? You know what I'm talking about. Is it fragment 55? Let me see. Um, yes! Or- yes, fragment 55. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, I like that one too. All right, yeah. let's do that one first. When you die, you'll lie dead. No memory of you. No desire will survive since you've no... Oh, wait, hold on. How do you say this word? Pay... Pay... I was saying Perian. 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 Okay, what is that? Do you know? Perry and Roses. Um, you know, I don't know. I should have looked that up. Um, gonna, oh, can we do that? We can do that. We have the oh, internet. Yeah. We need. <laughs> <laughs> it's this lovely thing that's allowing us all to talk. I know. Isn't it cool? It's great. Living in the future. Okay. Peria was a region in Macedonia. Okay. And there is a spring, like a spring of water that was sacred to the muses. Uh-huh. Mm. So I assume it has something to do with that. All right. That's like a choose your own adventure then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I guess it, it's it's referencing like the, the muses. Okay. And you've, you don't have any of that is what she says. You've no share in the Pyrian roses. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Even the muses won't yeah. have any, anything to tell about your story. Yeah. Ah, the spring is believed to be a fountain of knowledge that inspires whoever drinks from it. So she's basically saying, like, since you're a really bad poet or like you. <laughs> since you're stupid. You, you said since you're dumb and uninspired, like. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's um, so funny. I was thinking, like, since you'll never inspire anyone, but which is clearly wrong because here she is, Sappho, writing about her. Right. Which makes sense. There's no memory. No one's going to remember you because your art sucks. Yeah. Is basically what she's saying. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna memorialize, <laughs> but I'm gonna memorialize you in a poem like this, <laughs> like this. It's yeah, like the right. only thing people will remember about you is that I thought you were stupid. Yes, exactly. She's, I love it. Like she's, she could be so like breathtakingly, hauntingly beautiful in her writing, and also just really catty and bitchy. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. All right. So let's hear it. Here we go. When you die, you'll lie dead. No memory of you. No desire will survive since you've no share in the Pyrian roses. But once flown away, you'll wander among the obscure dead, invisible even in the house of Hades. Damn. 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 Like, yeah, that's a damnation right there. Yeah. Damn quite you literally. to invisibility. Yes. Invisibility right. in Hades. Yeah. Wow. Right. No one's going to recognize you, even in the realm of the dead. You're just going to be wandering among the random ghosts on the edge. Like, yeah. 
that's a pretty, it is a pretty damning. I know. Yeah. Like critique of whoever it was. Who was it? And what did they do? Yes. Right. I want right? to know. Yeah. 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 I know. Well, there's a, there's a couple that, that mention Irana. So who knows? But we don't know what? that this was Irana. We don't. I know. That was my joke, though. Because uh, no, I know. After. It's a great. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Was it but, Irana? Yeah. But she shows up in a couple of things. And there's even um, there's like a painting that suggests that perhaps in the the fragment 94, which which you're going to read, um, mm-hmm. that it may, in fact, have been Irana who was leaving. Um, in that painting. Yeah. With the brunette woman and the fairer haired woman. I can't mm-hmm, remember. Mm-hmm, who's and like stepping away. Um, and turn or like turning away they're both sitting is mm-hmm. that the one where there's a like small deer-like dog up yes. on the, yeah <laughs> <laughs> small deer-like just a, dog. just a lovely gay forest scene i was like know? why is there a deer oh no i guess that's a dog oh, well i mean look you know <laughs> may- maybe uh, i mean we know medieval people couldn't draw cats right. so maybe this was the medieval cat equivalent for ancient <laughs> greece like ancient there you Greek go. people couldn't quite draw dogs and right. so in that painting, who's who is who? Do you know who's supposed to be Sappho and who's supposed to be? Uh, I believe the, the the person who is turning away is uh, potentially Irana. Okay. And then the person and then there's two other people. Um, right. There's there. Are? there uh, maybe we're thinking of a different painting. Um, there's it looks like a statue to me. Paintings. Let's see. Ah, this is interesting. I'm looking at the painting now, and when I saw it before, it looked like the Arana one, the one in the red dress, was kind of turning away from her. But now it doesn't look like that. Here we go. Are we we're talking, talking about, about we're talking about different ones. Oh, it's not. Oh. So it's not actually a painting. It's um, it's a drawing. But you're, but you are right about that. There's a painting called Sappho and Irina yeah. in a oh, garden really? at Mytilene. Mm-hmm. by Simeon Solomon. So yes. it is supposed to, th- and that's the one you're talking about with yes. the like, tiny deer-like dog. Right. Um, yeah. With the, the woman in red. Uh, yeah. And then Sappho would be the one in the yellow. Okay, yeah. We will make sure that we put that in our show notes so you can all see that this is apparently uh, Irina, yeah. or however, yeah. Irina, with her dress Irina. falling off there. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. But they're just friends. They're just... <laughs> Just friends for whom clothes conveniently fall off when they hang out. That's just normal. They're right? just close friends. Yeah. And there's two little, like, lovebirds right above them. Yeah. And the deer-like dog. I don't know what to say about that. And then there's, like, <laughs> this statue over on behind to the, what? I wonder if that is meant to be Aphrodite. I'm guessing maybe so. That would make sense. Yeah, it would make sense. Yeah, but there's there's another, um, this drawing of... Yeah, what's the drawing? It's actually from a, an article that I'm having trouble tracking down right now. We'll figure it out. Um... But yeah, it's it's like Irana is is turned away from from Sappho yeah. and is is potentially leaving. Yeah. So we're thinking. So this is a so this is Sappho and Irina, and it, we could maybe guess that maybe that's the same person as Irana. Right. Yeah. That may be maybe some of the the interpretations over the years for yeah. for this this fragment. Yeah. I mean, it's been a few hundred years since she was alive, right? So things could get. <laughs> Kind of weird in translation. Just a just a bit. Yeah. Okay. Should we do ninety four? Let's do it. Yes. Okay. Oh. I simply want to be dead. Weeping, she left me with many tears and said, "This. Oh, how badly things have turned out for us. 
Sappho, I swear, against my will, I leave you. And I answered her, rejoice, go and remember me, for you know how we cherished you. But if not, I want to remind you and beautiful times we had. For many crowns of violets and roses at my side you put on, and many woven garlands made of flowers around your soft throat. And with sweet oil costly you anointed yourself, and on a soft bed delicate you would let loose your longing. And there was no dance, no holy place from which we were absent. Yeah, no man wrote that. No, no. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Yeah. It reminds me, actually, of Ann Lister when I mm. first read this. Hmm, and really? her pain at her lovers who would leave her and go marry some man. And, yes. You know. Right. Oh, man. We're actually, that's the, that's the next episode that we're doing. No! Yeah. Yippee! Yeah. So, okay, I have a question for you guys. In Back to Fragment 94. Yes. Okay. Um, there's these, 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 so here's like a translation issue. Is this a fragment? What's with the, like, E.E. E. Cummings end brackets? So the, the brackets actually- That means there's something missing. Yeah. Okay. So that's, here's a fragment. That's what that means? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh, yeah. oh, it hurts. It yeah. hurts. And I've seen some translations kind of- um, Try to fill it in. Try to fill it in. Yeah. Like the, for many crowns of violets and roses, they also add and dill and crocuses. Right. Um, which show up in some other poems. And what I find really interesting about that is that- there's been so much debate over like what lesbian flag should be used that you know there was the the laborious one that was created mm-hmm. in the 90s yeah, I remember that. but yeah. it was you know created by a man so people wanted Oh something. really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it was desi- <laughs> yeah, it was designed by a man. Um, it was I designed no by idea. That's I, hilarious. I literally just talked about this and I can't remember his name. Um but you know and then there's the the lipstick lesbian flag but it's it's recently <laughs> come out that the person who created that is um, a little bit of a racist and there's some gross stuff there. So there was actually somebody who posited on like Tumblr the idea of creating a new flag called the sapphic flag. Uh And it's it's like, it's violet and pink and uh, like a mustard yellow and a green, specifically evoking the violets, roses, dill, and crocuses. Ha, Um, so interesting. Yeah, it's... It's really, it's really interesting. It's a cool flag. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of it because it's very, very saturated, and I wish that it was a little bit like paler. Um, <laughs> it's like very, that. very bright in your face colors. Um, well, yeah. Wait, which one's the mustard? What, what is a mu- the crocus? Uh, yeah, the crocus. crocus is a yellow. Yeah, I mm-hmm. guess, I guess, I guess. Yeah. yeah, like if you look up, that's a pretty, that's a pretty intense pink for a rose. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of pinks you can choose for a rose that does it doesn't have to be it's very bright i love you so. taking umbrage with the saturation of the flag it's so good it's like it's, um, well, it's like it's funny because like i love i love the idea of it i love that we get a a flag that harkens back to sappho yeah that specifically is evoking her poetry yeah but also you know it it's super inclusive and it's basically like for a sapphic experience mm-hmm. um I just wish the colors were a little bit, little different. 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that could be tweaked. Yeah. I do exactly. too. I do too. Yeah. We'll we'll give we'll give credit for the person. It was designed in 2018 by a biracial lesbian from Canada named Lydia. So thank you. Thank you, Lydia. Lydia. Thank you. Thank you. Just want I something love it. a bit less. Yes. Yeah. I can see what you mean. And some of it might also depend on the order you put the colors in because I'm yeah. seeing two different options. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like there's one option that puts the yellow right by the purple. And I'm like, yeah. nope, bad idea. Right. Don't right. do that. That's really <laughs> bad. Like, no. It's a lot of um, vibrating. But that yellow looks softer than the other yellow. Is that just because of where it's placed or is that actually a less mustardy yellow? Uh, good question. I don't know. Um, Wait, did you just say a lot of vibrating? Yes. For the, for the Sappho flag? <laughs> I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> nice. Did. nice. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? It, it is. The colors are vibrating. Do you see that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I do see that. Yeah. They're yes. very, they, they really, I mean, it's, it makes sense. It's, it's something that's specifically, I mean, so much of like flag making nowadays in the queer community is specifically meant for, for digital. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Digital yeah. spaces, as opposed to like when Gilbert Baker made the original flag, it was like, like a hundred pounds of dye and wow. industrial like wow washers wow right amazing yeah yeah because i'm seeing a version that has purple yellow green and pink and yeah. that is bad order right um <laughs> too much another, vibrating like right, i said because <laughs> the yellow to the green is a lot and then that green to the pink is a lot yeah like, that's there's another version that i'm seeing that is purple pink yellow green i'm like that's nicer it's softer yeah it's, it's softer pink, on the eye less yes but that one i think the yellow looks more mustardy which is not my favorite version of yellow so yeah. someone with graphic someone whose passion is graphic design <laughs> <laughs> to 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 pull in another tumblr meme yes. if you could come up with like i think i think using these four colors is nice it just yeah. needs to be someone needs to figure out the right way to like order them Mm-hmm. and tone because i think that's a really lovely yeah i like that and that and especially that it harkens back to sappho because i mean the og the og yeah there's a lot of garlands yes. happening there were a lot of garlands going on yeah back then. a lot of a lot of uh gay flower crowns a lot of gay flower crowns and you know like what so i immediately go to like what's the flower crown supposed to mean but that you look at the paintings and there really are a lot of flowers. Like there's a lot of ladies walking around with like flowers in their hair, like mm-hmm. literally, but I don't know, many woven garlands made of flowers around your soft throat. Sounds like maybe not just flowers that she's talking about. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's so many other fragments where it's, it's literally the act of like giving these things to the woman that she's trying to woo. And that even mm. went further on in um, like, it, it, the the act of giving violets to the woman you are interested in it went i mean into like the 1920s in europe yeah um, there's a lot of that in shakespeare too mm-hmm. and the meanings of the different things and well who was it lee do you remember from our um silver screen episode the it was german marlena dietrich marlena <gasps> dietrich who wore like vi- violets at like an event like, she publicly would, like, she would like pin them on her like crotch <laughs> right yeah and that was her wow. way of saying that she was queer yeah seriously mm-hmm. yeah violets have been very strongly associated especially with queer women oh my god i'm delighted is that because of sappho yes i think so yeah, yeah. it goes back to sappho um also renee vivienne used violets in a lot of her imagery um 
partially for Sappho and partially because of a woman that she was in love with named Violet from her childhood. Oh. Yeah, I actually um, did a whole thing about the history of Violet's and, and sapphic love for the presentation that I did at my work, which is, like, it was well known enough that in, I think it was like 1927, there was a, a play called The Captive that has a, a woman receiving a package of, of vi- like, a crown of violets from her lover and that that indicates to the audience that they're in a romantic relationship and there was enough of a scandal that the police sh- like the police raided the theater shut down the production and new obscenity what? laws for theater were created whoa because of violets because of violets and it even oh, wow. tanked the sale of violets in new york <gasps> Oh my god! That's amazing. Which is why then in Paris, a bunch of the um, the Parisian lesbians at the time, you know, surrounding like Natalie Barney. Oh, I love Renee all those Viv- ladies. Right, yes. and Renee Vivian. They all they all went to went to performances of the captive wearing violets on their lapels. <gasps> oh my god, I love it. Yeah, such badass. Yeah, fun totally. stuff. It's basically, the lesbian equivalent of uh, Oscar Wilde in his Green Carnation. Hmm. So good. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, so I guess I guess at some point we should probably stop talking, which is yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been so much fun to it has been. talk about gay poetry with it you, Alex. Has been. Thank um, you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for wanting to come on and chat with us. Um, yeah. It's been a joy. Wanted to give you a little bit of time to talk about what you're doing, what's coming up for mm-hmm. you where Ah. people can see more of your work. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Um, Well, I I have a little part in a movie called What Death Leaves Behind, which Mm. toured the the festivals this year and just got released on Amazon. All right. Um, Trigger warning, it's it's dark and broody and a little violence. Um, I play a doctor, so I didn't have to get bloody or run or anything like that. But um, And I'm just in a tiny little bit of it, but it was fun and it just came out. So that's exciting. Um, and and I'm looking forward to the next thing. I've been, I'm in New York now and I, from time to time, will show up on the stage at the Upright Citizens Brigade, mm-hmm. which is Amy Poehler's comedy theater, her um, improv theater. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've been playing over there a little bit, but I will, and I, ha- I I'm just redoing my website, alexandratidings.com, and I'll put stuff up there as more <laughs> stuff comes up. Um, nice. It's, you know, it's a work in progress, so don't get too excited, but it's there. <laughs> is there, a, is there anywhere people can read some of the the plays that you've written? Like, Ooh, I, I really want to read the the hysteria one. Yes, oh, I would love. I'm like immediately like, yes, this is my next read. I know. No, there isn't any blur. But um, but I can think about that. I'm trying to figure out how to turn it into some kind of screen-based media. Mm. It's it's complicated. It's really weird. It's um, it was <laughs> it was multimedia to begin with. There's a dance number. Oh, it's cool. really batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's fun. It's called the Trial of Hannah Porn, oh, and okay. Hannah mm. Porn was an actual woman. She was a midwife in the early 20th century in mm. Massachusetts, and she she was really good at what she did. She 
outperformed all of the gentleman doctors, so they took her down of and course. Oh, yeah. put her on trial and charged her with practicing <sighs> medicine without a license. And they oh went, went all the way to Massachusetts Supreme Court, and they won and uh, made midwifery illegal and sort of changed childbirth in America for lots and lots of people for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I discovered her when I was pregnant and researching because I like to do that. I don't know if you guys can relate at all, but you know, what are you talking about? I don't know. about interesting things in the world i like to do that (laughs) yes hence why we were like oh we should have alex on here right exactly yeah so i was i just discovered this midwife named hannah porn and i was like seriously that's her name (laughs) right somebody's got to write a play about this woman so So there it is Yeah. I mean, it's about her, but, and, and, you know, the invention of the vibrator and Greek hysteria and all that good fun Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. There's some good stuff. Well, if that, if that shows up on, uh, on stage somewhere soon, please let me know. I will. I certainly will. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm on all of those social media things too. You can find me. Yes. We will make sure that we put links to that in our, in our notes for this episode so that people can just go click on the little link oh you're a love thank you and then there's also always the old stuff it's out there somewhere there's always a, an episode of xena playing somewhere it seems <laughs> right yeah yeah i was literally i was in costa rica and someone came up to me in an ice cream parlor and said i know you <laughs> <laughs> that's such a creepy way to do that though like i know oh, you. oh she was a nice old lady wearing an ice cream parlor it was okay <laughs> And the ice cream was really good. But yeah, I was like, what? How? Like, you know my daughter or something? And she was like, no, you're Aphrodite. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, well, yes. we we definitely. I would love to have you on again, Alex. If if there's if there's Absolutely. more if there's more people you want to talk about. Oh, um, fabulous! That sounds fun. Yes, you're just you're just a delight to talk to, and, oh, and you're you you're on the same awesome. wavelength as us in terms of like <laughs> I'm so excited about this thing. Let's talk. It's fun, isn't it? It's it really is. really fun. Yeah. Oh, I want to just give a little plug. There's a group in DC yes. called Gay History Archives, um, and they're doing such good work. And since I'm guessing people who are listening to this are interested in this stuff too like they just mm-hmm. you know if you if people want to find more stuff or support a really cool nonprofit, they're you know they're in dc and they're collecting all the fragments of it's mostly the aids epidemic stuff like the just the little bits of paper that are left mm-hmm. behind and they're finding them and i mean i love an archivist always so mm-hmm. yeah um, those are good people and i'm sure you guys are you know tapped yeah. into <laughs> a lot of other good people too all right well, thank you so much, Alex. This yeah, was really fun. Thank you. Um, thank you. My pleasure. Bye.